Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends share legendary stories. This episode, Texas basketball coaching legend Jody Conrad, presented by the Hampton Inn Waco. Planning to visit Waco? Stay at the Hampton Inn Waco, an official home base of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Hampton in Waco. Very special guest today as we celebrate Coach Jody Conrad. She coached the women's basketball team at the University of Texas from 1976 through 2007 and led the Lady Longhorns to a national championship in 1986 and guided that squad to the first ever undefeated season in NCAA women's basketball history. She tallied 900 victories over her illustrious career that included 183 consecutive wins against Southwest Conference schools. You heard that right. Her teams won every single game against Southwest Conference-based opponents from January of 1978 until February of 1990 as Texas won eight consecutive Southwest Conference titles. Coach Conrad stood at the forefront of the Title IX law that eventually opened a floodgate of athletic opportunities to young women throughout the United States, and she pointed out that the law also opened many career paths to women through college athletic scholarships. Coach Conrad was inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in 1998. She grew up in the small town of Goldthwaite, Texas, located about 90 miles west of Waco during the 1940s and 1950s. She tells us that both of her parents played sports. I grew up in an athletic family. My dad played on a semi-pro baseball team on weekends. And my mother, one of my earliest recollections was of her playing third base on a local softball team, which, you know, during that era, it was fairly unusual for women to be involved in sports. But in a small town like that, everybody played a sport, and it was basketball for girls. And having seen my mother play and participate, then I could hardly wait to get an opportunity to do the same thing. She adds that she's thankful to have grown up in a small town and says that added to her opportunities in sports. Well, I had a very unique opportunity to be born and raised in a small town, and I look at it as an advantage because I had an opportunity to get involved in so many different activities and had a very varied experience there. In small towns, everybody's a part of the team or else there's not enough people to make a team. So everybody participates, and particularly they participate in high school activities because that is the focus. Everybody's really involved in every way with uh, the high schools because in the small town in that era, 
that was entertainment. That was what people did, and that was just expected of every family to be supportive and involved in every child growing up to have an opportunity to participate in sports. Although it was unusual to have the opportunity to play high school basketball, she added that the games were well organized. It was organized very much like it is today. You were in a district, and it was geographic in nature and also based on the population of the school. Goathway to that point in time would have played Lano and Mason and Bangs and Santa Ana, I mean, based on the geographic location and similar schools in terms of enrollment. And yes, it was a full schedule, uh, just as it is today. I don't think the numbers of games has changed much. Conrad played forward in basketball and averaged 40 points a game. When I asked her about that, she quickly pointed out a couple of quick facts about the history of girls' high school basketball in Texas and explained how the game was different back then. During that era, and late into the 70s, in Texas high schools, girls played the divided court, three offensive players and three defensive players. It took a lawsuit to change that, and again, it didn't change until the 70s. So you either played forward or you played guard, and there were only three of you that shared the ball on the offensive end. So you had a lot more opportunities to score in that game. An interesting side note to Coach Conrad's playing career is that her first coach in junior high was her neighbor Ray Akins, a Texas high school football Hall of Fame coach and father to Marty Akins, who grew up to play quarterback in Daryl Royal's wishbone offense at the University of Texas. In fact, the two families lived next door to each other. After high school, Conrad attended Baylor University. She enrolled as a history major and planned to become a teacher. Basketball really wasn't any part of the picture, especially in the decades before Title IX. Still, as fate would have it, she soon made her way back onto the court. When you grow up in sports and you have an opportunity to be a part of a team and that experience ends, then there's a void. And that was how I felt as I was enrolling as a freshman at Baylor and by accident happened to go into one of the gymnasiums and there was a team playing basketball and I inquired as to how you got to be a part of that and they didn't get into much detail they just said come play so I got involved and then after being a part of that team discovered that it was actually for physical education majors and that I needed to change my major in order to continue playing. I did not have any idea what a physical education major did. I wanted to be a teacher because in my small hometown, the only women I saw working outside of the home were teachers or educators. And that was my goal because I wanted to have a profession and I admired my teacher. I loved education. So that was my goal. And then to have someone say, well, you got a major in physical education never having had a physical education teacher or a physical education class, that was foreign to me. But I reluctantly agreed to change my major just to have an opportunity to continue playing, never envisioning that would change my whole life and professional course. The Southwest Conference wouldn't officially sanction women's basketball until well into Coach Conrad's career at Texas. She describes for us what it was like to play women's basketball at Baylor in the early 1960s. 
Well, it was totally different than it is now. We did not have a schedule as such. We played primarily in tournaments because weekends was the optimum time to play because obviously there was no ability to travel or to miss class. It wasn't that structured. So you traveled on the weekends, you played in a tournament. There might be 10 or 12 teams at that site and you played a traditional tournament bracket. North Texas and TWU being close together, that was a really popular site for us to play. We would go maybe to Sam Houston, and I ultimately took my first college job at Sam Houston. Sam Houston was playing Stephen F. Austin and other like schools. It was not very organized, but it was an opportunity for women to continue to play sport that they loved and it was important for the women who were in leadership roles to provide that opportunity and I'll forever be grateful that they had the vision and the forethought to provide opportunities. She said that the team also played some games against area high schools both as a chance to play and to give the high school players more experience. Waco Midway was one of those high schools. Midway head coach and superintendent M.T. Rice offered Conrad a job as an assistant when she graduated from Baylor in 1963. Turns out that coach had a great jump shot, and that skill helped her land the job. I had learned to shoot a jump shot, which I know this makes me sound really old, but women weren't doing that on a regular basis. And I learned by accident because I played with guys in my high school and I played horse and if you couldn't shoot a jump shot you were going to be out pretty quickly. So Mr. Rice, I think again somewhat of a visionary, decided that it was time to teach the high school players that he coached the ability to shoot a jump shot. So he asked me if I would come and be an assistant and implement that shooting skill. And that was the first time it ever occurred to me that I might coach in any level or that I might pursue coaching as a career. This was at a time when women held very few coaching positions. As I looked around the coaching profession at the high school level, there were very few women coaching. Lita Andrews was one of the few women and a woman named Jan LaHudney, who was at Victoria but you can almost count the number of women coaching girls basketball on two hands because it still was predominantly a sport coached by guys. Coach Conrad earned a master's degree at Baylor while she worked at Waco Midway. She also attended a couple of tournaments with a women's volleyball group and met Sam Houston State basketball coach Carla Lowry. When Lowry left the job to pursue her doctorate, she recommended Jody Conrad to be her successor. Conrad moved into her first job in the collegiate ranks. She tells us that the job at Sam Houston State came with a worthwhile yet very busy schedule. It wasn't a full-time coaching position. It was being a physical education instructor and then as an add-on coach sports. I taught seven activity classes anything from swimming to tennis and in addition to that I coached three sports and thought I had the best job in the world. It was great fun because I had an opportunity to work with young women who were so appreciative of an opportunity and again they weren't on scholarship 
they were playing because they loved it and because they wanted to have the opportunity to be a part of a team. So there's something special about being involved with people who are equally passionate about what you do. And that was the pristine state of women's sports at that time. The Bearcats went 17-2 and in Conrad's first season as head coach. She coached there through the 1972-73 season and ended her tenure 50 games over 500. Title IX passed in the summer of 1972. That law had a tremendous effect on her career and the lives of countless women in the years that follow. We will touch on Title IX some in this episode, but we'll get more in-depth in a future episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast this summer. You can also hear a bit more about Title IX on the Houston Comets episode and on the Southwest Conference Legends Golf Tournament episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. An interesting fact about Title IX becoming law is that few realize the legislation's sweeping effects at the time it was passed. It took quite a while for girls' high school sports and women's collegiate sports to be implemented at the level we've come to know today. Although Title IX directly led to Coach Conrad's hire at the University of Texas, that was still a few years away. After four successful seasons at Sam Houston, she was offered a job at UT Arlington. And again, I'm following Carla Lowry. She ended up getting her doctorate and going to UT Arlington to teach. And she again assumed the role of just as a volunteer coaching the women who were already enrolled there in basketball and volleyball. And they had no program, basically. The lure was to come and establish a more organized program and to even look at maybe having partial scholarships. And I did not have to teach classes at Arlington. I then just moved totally into coaching, although I was still coaching three sports. She said that all three teams often featured the same players and added that in those days, if one of those players owned a car, they might be up for team MVP. Interesting enough, the people on all three of those teams were the same people. I say that if you looked at the team pictures during that era, you could only tell what team it was by their socks um, because the people were the same for the most part. In basketball, they wore longer socks. In volleyball, they wore no-show socks. And in softball, they wore leggings. So we used to have the same uniforms, just pass them from team to team. If you had a car, then you had an advantage because we probably needed your car to go to the game. Knowing that teams shared uniforms and the lack of team transportation to games grants some insight on the limited funding for women's programs at the time, how dedicated the athletes were to playing sports, and how creative coaches had to be. Coach Conrad said that that situation led to a special type of camaraderie amongst the coaches. She told a great story about her time at UT Arlington to illustrate both the bond programs had with each other and the hard scrabble world of women's college basketball in the early to mid-1970s. First, however, I'd like to give a little background about the AIAW, the Association for Intercollegiate Athletics for Women. 
The NCAA wasn't sanctioning women's basketball in the early 1970s. We'll get more into that later. At that time, women's basketball was organized under the AIAW. The AIAW split teams into geographic groupings, and Stephen F. Austin was in the same grouping as UT Arlington. Stephen F. Austin had a bit more funding and already offered scholarships. They also owned two convincing victories over UT Arlington one season as the teams headed into competition at the AIAW Regional Tournament held in Magnolia, Arkansas. And we are driving to play and can barely afford a hotel room. I mean, you know, we're still operating on a shoestring in this era. And Stephen F. Austin was the number one seed and they had a buy in the first round. UTA, where I was, was not seeded and we had to play a first round game. So if we win our first round game, we're gonna play Stephen F. Austin, which seemed to be a pretty tough conclusion that we were gonna play one game, maybe win it, play Stephen F. Austin and turn around and go home. On that day, we did win our first game and we're getting ready to play Stephen F. Austin. And I check us out of our hotel because I'm certain that we're gonna be driving home after the game. And I pay for the hotel rooms with cash. I had some, uh, a little bit of cash that I had gotten from the university. Sue Gunter was coaching Stephen F. Austin and that they were pretty confident that they were going to win. So they decided to just drive up the day of the game. Well, we end up beating them, which was miraculous. So now I have no hotel rooms and I don't have any money because I've paid for the hotel rooms that we had the night before. Sue has hotels and money and she doesn't need either because they lose and they have to turn around and go home. So I approached Sue, who was a friend, and said, can we have your hotel rooms and could you loan me a couple of hundred dollars? So can you imagine in today's environment a coach approaching one of their opponents and asking if he can borrow money? Sue gave me money, gave me the rooms, we continued to play. I don't remember what we did after that, but that story has always stood out and people have gotten a lot of chuckles over the fact that sports is not predictable uh, and sometimes you get an upset when you least expect it and if you haven't planned ahead, then you're dependent on help from your friends. But that's, that's how, that's what the environment was too. We were all in it together, regardless of your team or what was happening with your individual institutions. It was a collective effort to provide opportunities for young women to play. Just as tournament upsets are unpredictable, sometimes life can be unpredictable. University of Texas Women's Athletic Director Donna Lopiano contacted Coach Conrad with an offer to take over the Lady Longhorn women's basketball program before the 1976-77 season. I didn't know her at all, only by reputation. And she was hired at the University of Texas the year prior to my coming here. And she actually recruited me to come to Texas. As she tells the story, she was sort of looking to see who had been fairly successful in state in girls basketball. And I had, by coincidence, because I was at UT Arlington, met the chancellor at that point from the University of Texas, and I'm not sure whether he mentioned me to Donna or 
whether Donna mentioned me to him. She says that accepting the job was an easy decision for her. It was easy because growing up in this state and seeing what potential there was at the University of Texas, because obviously the success of the men's program is well documented, and you felt like that it was a sleeping giant. And Donna was such a visionary and had such passion about what was going to happen that it was an easy sell for me. And I'm a native Texan, and going to the State University was a very exciting thing. When we return, we'll hear stories from Coach Jody Conrad's legendary career at the University of Texas, including stories from the Lady Longhorns' undefeated national championship season on the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Hampton Inn Waco. Hi, this is Hall of Famer Nancy Lieberman, and I listen to the Texas Hall of Fame podcast. And if you're not listening to it, you're missing out. When you come to Waco, be sure to stay at the Hampton Inn Waco, located just a short distance from the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You'll start your day off with a delicious complimentary breakfast, and you'll enjoy the Hampton Inn Waco's free Wi-Fi, fitness center, and pool. Next time you bring your team to Waco, make the Hampton Inn Waco your home court on the road. Welcome back to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends share legendary stories, presented by the Hampton in Waco. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco and book your stay at the Hampton in Waco. Jody Conrad's first season as head coach of the University of Texas was the 1976-77 season. She recruited Linda Andrews, daughter of legendary high school coach Lita Andrews. The women's basketball program didn't have a recruiting budget at the time, so Coach Conrad paid her own transportation costs out of pocket to pay a recruiting visit to Andrews. That's one sign of the times. Another sign of the times is that even though Linda Andrews was an outstanding basketball player, whose parent is one of the most successful high school coaches in American sports history. She had already enrolled in another university without any thoughts of playing basketball. And Donna made that trip with me because Linda had already enrolled at Angelo State and had thought she wasn't going to, to play anymore. And so I was able to convince her to come to Texas, and that was the first get, in addition to a player who was at Arlington named Kim Basinger. And then when I left, she chose to come to Texas. She was a really good player. Conrad says she only had about six scholarships to work with, and a seventh player was previously on an academic scholarship. She still found a way to build a solid team that first year, built around Andrews, Basinger, and the only two players remaining from the previous year's team, Kathy Self, a member of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame's 2018 class, and Retha Swindell, 
who set a national triple jump record in high school. Conrad guided that squad to a 36-win season. That was just the beginning. The next year, Texas made the finals of the National Women's Invitational Tournament, a tournament won by Old Dominion, who featured another Texas Sports Hall of Fame inductee, Nancy Lieberman. You can learn more about Nancy Lieberman in Episode 8 of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast that highlighted the 2019 induction ceremony. Coach Conrad stated that some smaller schools like Old Dominion built their programs faster than some big schools in the larger conferences. It was interesting. In those first years, some of the very best teams were teams from very small institutions. Old Dominion, all the way back even to Immaculata and, and Delta State, which are very small and obscure by today's standards. The AIAW continued to oversee women's college athletics. Coach Conrad gives us a little more insight into the AIAW and its background. AIAW was an organization formed by women who were sponsoring or coaching or had participated at the collegiate level. NCAA was not inclined to offer any opportunities for women at that point in time. So out of necessity... AIEW, and it stands for Association of Intercollegiate Athletics for Women, was formed. We had a totally different set of rules than the NCAA rules. There was really no recruiting off campus, no paid visits. Scholarships were still quite limited in a lot of situations. And for the most part, it was set up in zones or districts based on geographic location, having nothing to do with the size of the institution or the resources available to those programs. So the NCAA Women's Tournament that we now know wasn't taking place in the late 70s and even into the first part of the 1980s. The Southwest Conference also didn't sanction women's basketball until the 1982-83 season. So while Texas played games against traditional Southwest teams such as Baylor, Texas Tech, and Arkansas, everything was still under the purview of the AIAW rather than the NCAA and the Southwest Conference. Things changed after the 1980-81 season. Louisiana Tech won the AIAW championship, and coincidentally that La Tech team featured Texas Sports Hall of Fame member Kim Mulkey. For the 1981-82 season, both the AIAW and the NCAA offered national championship brackets. Louisiana Tech won the NCAA title. Texas played Rutgers for the AIAW championship. Rutgers won the national final over Texas by an 83-77 margin. Coach Conrad gives us insight into that year's postseason tournaments. The NCAA by this time had decided that there was enough interest and enough pressure exerted that they would start to offer championships. So Texas, because of Donna Slopiano's involvement in the formation of AIW and her strong opinions about not wanting to be a part of NCAA, We actually competed in the last AIAW championship 
and in that same year, NCAA had a championship, so there were two national champions in that one year. And as a coach, I really wanted to go play in the NCAA because obviously that was where the more competitive environment and the more publicity was going to occur. But Donna did not want that to happen, so I agreed with my boss. And as I look back on it now, I'm proud of the fact that we made a statement, which is basically what it was, that we have been existing without NCAA and we really are not desperate to be a part of that. But most of the athletic directors at various institutions had started to exert some pressure on NCAA and say, if we're going to offer women's sports and our men are playing in NCAA, then we want our women to play as well. That was a benchmark year. Southwest Conference play officially began in the 1982-83 season. But remember, Texas had played traditional Southwest Conference schools in previous seasons. The Lady Longhorns didn't lose a conference game in that 82-83 season, nor did they lose a conference game the next year or the year after that. Coach Conrad's Lady Longhorns went the first seven seasons in the Southwest Conference without losing a single conference game. The team went the entire 1980s without losing to a single Southwest Conference-based opponent. Coupled with the years before the Southwest Conference sanctioned play, the win streak totaled 183 wins before a 1990 loss to Arkansas. What you hope in sports, uh, it's a two-sided coin. You love the fact that you're dominant, you love the fact that you're winning, but on the other hand, you hope that the success you have elevates others to want to be competitive. So that's a perfect example of what happened as we move forward. So it was a process and it happened over time and you probably could not have written a better script But as it turned out, then the Southwest Conference became probably the most competitive conference, and we by far started to draw much bigger crowds for women's basketball than any other conference in the country. Conrad coached her teams to 12 consecutive NCAA tournaments. Texas entered the 1984 tournament ranked number one, but fell in the regional final to Louisiana Tech. In 1985, Texas again entered the tournament ranked number one. Best of all, the Final Four would be played in Austin. Excitement grew to a fever pitch about the possibility of winning the national title on the Lady Longhorns' home floor. Tickets sold out. The fan base could taste that this was the Lady Longhorns' moment. And then, just like that, the dream vanished literally in an instant. During the Sweet 16 round, Western Kentucky inbounded the ball in a tie game with one second left on the clock and hit the game-winning shot. Texas lost, and the team watched from the sidelines as the Final Four moved into Austin and Old Dominion defeated Georgia in the final at the Frank Irwin Center. NCAA tournament upset losses 
are always devastating to top-ranked teams, but it's hard to express the hurt that team felt. Yet despite the pain that stung the Texas program internally, Coach Conrad said that the 1985 Women's Final Four in Austin may have been a turning point in the popularity and growth of women's college basketball. We actually hosted a national championship tournament and we sold it out. And in conjunction with the national tournament, there is a annual coaches convention. So every coach in the country goes to the national championship tournament, has an opportunity for meetings and other things. So it's held in Austin and we sold out the arena. We had a spectacular event. We uh, had a barbecue. Bevo was there. I mean, we made it a big deal. And I feel like it was one of the turning points for women's basketball because all of the other coaches in the country came and they saw something here that they had not seen before. And that motivated them to go home and start to really build their programs. I think it was the first time people really understood that you actually could put a product on the floor that people would buy tickets to see and that there would be a great deal of school pride associated with women's basketball. She talks about what the off-season was like that year for the team. How I described that year of practice and getting ready for the next year in the playoffs, they were a gripey team. <laughs> <laughs> They were irritated, obviously, and they did not hesitate to get on each other, to fuss at each other, to demand more from each other. It was um, really, really interesting, the dynamics of that team, and that's why I said I didn't have any trouble at all coaching that team because they were self-motivated and they knew what it took to get to that level again. Expectations still ran high around the 40 acres as the Lady Longhorns entered the 1985-86 season. The team went into the season ranked number one in the country. They did not have an easy non-conference schedule either. The first game was at 10th ranked Ohio State in Columbus, Ohio. Coach Conrad said that that game was enormously difficult for multiple reasons. The pressure on that game was astronomical. I felt it, and they felt it, and we had this just, it was like an exorcism, okay? We had this pent-up desire to get past how horrible we felt all off-season, and it happened to be that we were playing a good team from Ohio State, and it was a very unusual circumstance. They were playing in a small gym, not their main facility, and the floor was incredibly slick. I felt like we were playing on gates. That was pretty typical during that time, you know. You played wherever you could, and most institutions stuck you away in a lesser facility. And all those factors coming together, and then our nerves at a high level. But once we won that game, then it was like, the pressure is gone. Texas beat Ohio State by two points. 
The Lady Longhorns played six teams ranked in the top 10 in their first eight games to open the 1985-86 season. The Lady Longhorns were ranked number one, and everybody always brings their best against number one. Yet Texas won every single one of those games against top 10 opponents, and most of them weren't even close. A five-point victory over seventh-ranked Louisiana Monroe was the only game closer than 11 points. Texas then routed 20th-ranked Houston by 26 points in their next game and had a 9-0 record, and were still ranked number one. The only way to stay number one is to keep winning. The Lady Longhorns were 15-0 after defeating the previous year's national champion Old Dominion by over 30 points. The wins mounted. Expectations mounted. Texas finished the regular season undefeated. They breezed through the Southwest Conference Tournament and entered the NCAA Tournament at 29-0. The Lady Longhorns would play their first games on their home court through the Elite Eight if they made it that far. The winning streak and the heavy expectations of a number one ranked team playing at home placed a tremendous amount of pressure on the team. Everybody talks about the home court advantage in basketball, and certainly that's true. But there's also a great deal of pressure when you're in a one-and-done situation and you're playing at home and you've got your fans and you feel a responsibility not only to your team but to the people that have supported you all year. We were drawing thousands of fans, and thousands of fans had been in support, and the publicity was significant, and you felt a pressure every time you took the floor. Everybody pretty much was ready to award us the national championship the year before. We're good. We're playing on our own floor, and for four straight years, that group was ranked number one throughout the season. So... The expectations couldn't have been any greater. Texas played Missouri in their first tournament game and scored 108 points to win. They advanced to a Sweet 16 matchup against 19th-ranked Oklahoma, and they blew the Sooners out of the water with a 26-point victory. Next up was a regional final game at home against 11th-ranked Mississippi. Over 10,000 tickets sold for the Elite Eight Showdown. A national television crowd watched on ESPN, and Texas soon found themselves down by five points in the game. With two minutes left in the first half, Texas trailed by seven. Texas trimmed the lead to three by halftime, but this regional final game was clearly too close for comfort. Again, you could pretty much predict that. It's one game away from what we had focused on all year. It's one game away from feeling vindicated. It's one game away and Mississippi was good. But the pressure in that game was again astronomical. I can remember a few times myself just feeling pressure like I don't know if I can breathe through this. (laughs) And that was one of those times. Texas was a senior-led team but it was a younger player who stepped up. Interestingly enough, a player that stepped up in that game was not one of the seniors. There were six seniors on that team, so obviously they're on their last go-round. 
Beverly Williams was one of the younger players. She stepped up in that game and got us over the hump. And I don't know that the seniors could have done it uh, without her help because obviously the pressure wasn't as great on her as it was those seniors who had been through the circumstances of the year before and also feeling like it was their last chance. Texas escaped the pressure-packed game with a three-point win over Mississippi at the Irwin Center. The victory placed them in the Final Four at Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky. Their semifinal round opponent was Western Kentucky, the team that knocked the Lady Longhorns out in heartbreaking fashion the previous season. I've never had a team that was more motivated to play and redeem themselves from the year before. You can imagine that we sold thousands of tickets for that Final Four game in 85 and how disappointing it was to the players not to be participating, but even more so to feel like you had let the entire community and your fan base down. The motivated Lady Longhorns trampled fifth-ranked Western Kentucky by 15 points. That set up a national championship game between Texas and USC, a team led by four-time All-American Cheryl Miller. Miller was the country's most recognized player, but Texas was a complete team. Annette Smith's defense held Miller to well below her season point average and limited her to 2-for-11 shooting. Five Longhorns scored in double figures in the national championship game. Freshman Clarissa Davis scored 24 points. As a team, Texas set a record for most points in a women's NCAA final with 97 points and notched a convincing win over USC to complete the first ever undefeated season in women's NCAA basketball history. Most importantly, it brought the national championship trophy to the University of Texas. The team returned home to Austin to a homecoming celebration at the Irwin Center that featured Barbara Jordan as a speaker. Jordan told the team that they showed America what the word team means. The 1985-86 Lady Longhorn season stands as one of the greatest seasons in college basketball history. Coach Conrad was named National Coach of the Year. Clarissa Davis earned tournament MVP honors. Teammate Fran Harris joined her on the all-tournament team. Cammie Etheridge set a Final Four record for assists. Andrea Lloyd provided tough defense. Senior Kara Pretty inspired her teammates before the national championship game by stating that although a lot of people talked about how USC senior superstar Cheryl Miller wanted to go out a champion, the Texas seniors wanted to go out champions as well. The entire title run, the whole undefeated season, was a complete team effort. That team was so talented that it didn't matter who we played. I still believe that's one of the most talented teams ever in the sport, and it was 11 players deep. 11 players played in every game. Another thing to note is that that team overcame a lot of injuries, yet the Lady Longhorns overcame injuries, and that's another example of just how deep that team was. 
Texas would win their first six games the next season to hold a 40-game winning streak. The team returned to the Final Four that year, and Coach Conrad piloted the Lady Longhorns to the Final Four again in the 2002-2003 season. By that time, Jody Conrad had seen women's college basketball grow from a game played only by physical education majors at Baylor to a game regularly played on national television. She witnessed the change from borrowing money on the road to pay for hotels and paying her own way on recruiting trips to major collegiate programs offering full scholarships to women who then gained access to a plethora of career choices that weren't available to the majority of women when her coaching career started, including the chance to play professional basketball in the WNBA. One of Coach's best-known sayings is, if you can see it, you can be it. She talks about the change that she's seen over the years. Going back to the 60s, the 50s, and it was unusual, and especially in a really small town, uh, I didn't see women doing anything except being in the home, raising children, unless they were teachers. Every once in a while, we might have gone to a bigger environment, Brownwood, and I might have seen a nurse. But I think, thankfully, that has changed dramatically, and it's really hard to explain to young women today. They can't even fathom that that's the way it was early on because their world is so much bigger. Their vision and their dreams are so much more. Coach Conrad finished her career with 900 wins, over her 38-year collegiate coaching career. She also served as the women's athletic director at UT. She won a national championship, led the Lady Longhorns to two other Final Fours, five other Elite Eight appearances, and an AIAW national championship game. Most importantly of all, she had a tremendous impact on the lives of the athletes she coached. All of those accomplishments and more earned her a spot in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in 1998. She tells us what being a member of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame means to her. It means everything. I'm a Texan. I've never lived anywhere else except in the state of Texas. I grew up playing sports. UIL was a huge part of my life from the very beginning. I can't imagine living anywhere else. I can't imagine a better environment for somebody that wants to be in sports than being in the state of Texas where high school sports is so dominant. Being recognized by your peers and by people who have the same kind of Texas state pride as I do, it is a phenomenal award. Head coach Jody Conrad, a true Texas sports legend. Be sure to see the actual game ball from her 700th career victory the next time you visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by the Hampton in Waco. Make the Hampton in Waco your home court when you come to visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame.